Happy New Year, dorks. I know you're probably still busy vacuuming up the strands from those poppers that always end up being a bit louder than you expected, but it's time for us to get back to the dorky business our listeners depend on. My name is Jordan, and I am honored to be queuing up our first episode of 2021. Before introducing my fellow dorks, I want to send out a sincere, heartfelt thank you to our listeners for joining us today and over the course of the past 21 episodes. Kind of unbelievable to think we're that many episodes in already. Uh, We started this journey not really knowing what it would become or if it would even last. Uh, To think that a whole year of dorky prognostication awaits us is truly something to behold. Um, If you haven't had a chance to, please take some time to rate, review, subscribe, and maybe even tell a friend about our podcast. You know where you can find us, but you can tell them to look for us on all of their favorite podcast platforms. And if you would like to connect with us, just search up dorkfest underscore podcast on Instagram. You'll find us and all sorts of dorky content there. Now for some introductions. First up, there's a plane waiting to take him to Miami, but he won't make a big thing of it. I know it was you, Joshua. You forgot my gift. You forgot my gift. Anyway, Josh, how you doing? I well, you know, I'm 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 ashamed because I did. I, well, I didn't forget your Christmas present. I entrusted it to the United States Postal Service, which was clearly a mistake. However, uh, one of them did arrive just this afternoon, so you should be expecting a, a hand d- delivered gift in the next few days. The other one. Uh, has evidently been bouncing around between U.S. Postal Service facilities since December the 20th. Um, I think it's, uh, I'm afraid that's gone forever. So, you know, I I do apologize, but I have to say, I thought we settled this. You got my first five Dorkfest points on the Dorkfest competition that we did over the holidays, and and I, I thought we were square. What gives? Well, I mean, we are square. We are square. And I mean, frankly, I I look forward to the gift. Uh, A nice little maybe handwritten note of apologies might be nice to go along with it, too. Uh, But our listeners need to be made aware of this, too. It's it's, it's a matter of journalistic record at this point, I believe. Uh, Next up, he's debating between becoming an astronaut or the first mate on a shrimp boat. It's our very own lieutenant of editing, Dan. Dan, how you doing? I'm doing great. Happy New Year, everybody. I assume that's a Forrest Gump reference. It's a good movie. It's even a better soundtrack, though, which I think is fitting with what we're going to talk about. Creedence Clearwater Revival, Aretha Franklin, Fleetwood Mac, Bob Dylan, the list goes on and on. That's that's a must-own soundtrack, if you ask me. Absolutely. And it is indeed a Forrest Gump uh, reference. Uh, Dan, frankly, would be ashamed of you if you didn't get that. So thank you for not making me be ashamed of you. Uh, finally, it's Gabe. Is that is that it? Uh, yeah, sorry. I couldn't think of another New Year's movie reference. Uh, maybe you could grace us with a few lines from Old Lang Syne. I hear you've never experienced it until you've heard it in the original Klingon. Uh, you know, I happen to have, for completely separate reasons, looked up those lyrics in Klingon earlier. So at least the first bars or a couple lines is something to the effect of Kohach dolmed te inku vivang ane. So... It's all Greek to me, man. Search me. This is truly content you can get nowhere else. That, that's yeah. unique. I mean, that's the most unique thing this podcast has contributed in a, in a calendar year. Great, kid. Don't get cocky. I, I get the message. No, you know, I just, uh, and to anybody who actually understands and knows how Klingon should be spoken out there, if you are dorkier than us, bravo, and please forgive us. 
And on top of all of that, please record us the proper pronunciation and send it over to us at dorkvest underscore podcast on Instagram uh, or leave it in a review on our podcast. Uh, dorks, I am especially excited for our inaugural episode of 2021. As our listeners may remember from our first ever episode, I mentioned that over the past years, I've developed a bit of a tradition of putting together playlists containing my top songs from the past year. This is very much the same framework with a few tweaks that we'll be using for tonight's episode. To begin, I'll ask the dorks to share some music that wasn't new in 2020, but was new to them. Next, we'll dive into our favorite new albums and tracks released during the year of 2020. And finally, we'll end the show by discussing some of the music that we found ourselves returning to or rediscovering in the last year. 2020 was a year defined by solitude, isolation, aloneness, and the drive to stay connected despite a socially and civically driven need to avoid contact with others. The music of the past year in many ways suited the needs of a moment like this, one that artists and listeners alike never saw coming. Desperate for connection, we heard from old friends like Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen, who released their 39th and 20th studio albums, respectively. We were gifted albums years in the making and treated to plenty of surprises along the way. Concert venues closed, so bands instead streamed live performances into our homes. Artists, forced into the same seclusion as the rest of us, reflected on this moment of national and global trauma and distilled into melodies and lyrics a way for us to grapple with a reality that felt, and still feels, at once impossible and far too real. We watched horrific acts of racial violence alongside inspiring acts of protest, and the singers and songwriters of our generation and those past provided us the words and sounds to grapple with that reality. Music, simply put, was the soundtrack and the storyline of a year like no other. And one thing that made the solitude of 2020 that much more difficult, of course, was the inability to say goodbye in person to those who left us. So before we dive into what the world of music gained in 2020, I think it's only appropriate that we take a moment to acknowledge what it lost. Just to name a few, we said goodbye to John Prine, the quintessential folk artist and prolific songwriter. Little Richard, the founding father of rock, known for classics like Tutti Frutti and Good Golly Miss Molly. Eddie Van Halen, Bill Withers, Fleetwood Mac co-founder Peter Green, and the prolific film composer Ennio Morricone. Their sounds may stay with us, but these artists will be missed. And while it is healthy to look back, it's also important to look forward. And that, dorks, will bring us to our warm-up question. Dorks. What do you hope to hear in 2021? Gabe, you go first. Uh, happy to, because um, I even have an answer for this one, uh, ready to go. Um, I, uh, and I think I'm also maybe the only one to not yet have made a half-decent joke about this yet, so I'm going to take this opportunity to do it. I, in 2021, I look forward to hopefully hearing Hans Zimmer's first ever James Bond score for No Time to Die. Um, yes. Perhaps a no-brainer. Yeah, right, right on, Josh. But um uh, love that dude. Um, fascinated to see where in the heck Bond's headed <laughs> these days uh, as a franchise, as a character. Um, but I know no matter where he's headed, uh, he's going to have a banger of a soundtrack and probably an instant classic ready there. Um, and if not, I will be severely disappointed having waited all this time. But I trust Hans. So that's what I'm hoping to hear in 21. Excellent choice, Gabe. I'm sure something that was on many of our lists for sure. Uh, Dan, what about you? What do you hope to hear in 2021? Well, I could go the sort of low-hanging fruit route and just say anything live in person, but I'm I'm going to steer clear of that because sort of I'm, I'm not certain that's still going to be safe in 2021 and say rather that I am hoping in 2021 to get a new album offering from Mark Knopfler. 
my favorite guitarist and singer songwriter. Um, you know, he tends to veer in some different directions now in the solo career and he's getting a little long in the tooth and even joked on his last tour about thinking that it was time to retire. And so clearly those thoughts are starting to trickle into the back of his mind, but I got to believe a guy as talented as Mark Knopfler, who's been cooped up for six or eight months, he's got to have some great tracks that he's been working on. So I'd like to get a new Mark Knopfler record in 2021. Really nice, Dan. Something I'd love to hear as well. I, it's funny. I was I was thinking through, you know, what answers to this question might have been a year ago. Um, now, granted, a year ago was very, very different than it is right now. But you know, thinking about maybe hearing a new album from Bruce Springsteen. Me personally, thinking about hearing from, you know, My Morning Jacket, who we, you know, both bands that we heard from in 2020, and we may hear about later in this podcast. Um, for me, what I hope to hear in 2021, um, perhaps to go down a bit more of a serious tone than we typically do on Dorkfest, the podcast. Um, my hope is just that music will continue to capture the moment that we're living in. Um, I, I think about some of the really timely songs that came out this year that, that captured the moments that we were living in. Just to name a few, um, I Can't Breathe by G uh, Gabriella Wilson, better known as Her, um, FDP, not going to explain what that acronym means uh, by the, the rapper YG. Um, J.S. Andara uh, put out his whole album of uh, Tales of Isolation, which is an entire album that he wrote in isolation, about isolation. Um, and then finally, uh, Janelle Monae's Turntables. These were all albums that really captured the moment and the history that we were living in. Um, and I hope that music continues to do that. And I find no reason to think that it won't. Josh, go ahead and take us home. What do you hope to hear in 2021? Something far less profound than, than Jordan, which will come as no surprise to, to you guys and our listeners. Um, but it's, um, I, I'm looking forward to hearing Timothy Chalamet as Bob Dylan. Uh, he's going to star in a, in a Dylan biopic. Um, the, the last, you know, Dylan biopic-esque thing that came out maybe about 15 years ago now, I'm Not There was a movie I really liked and a soundtrack that I absolutely loved. Um, and I'm really looking forward to, to the music associated with that movie. Um, Chalamet's a great young actor. Let's see what he's got. Yeah, great selection there, Josh. The, the I'm Not There soundtrack, just just absolutely phenomenal. I feel like, um, almost a shame to mention this, but I feel like that's actually how I got to first listen to some of my favorite Bob Dylan songs and then went back and listened to the original ones and Obviously, they're much better, but um, great selections, all dorks. Um, wonderful to hear from you. Wonderful to hear what you're looking forward to here in 2021. But that's not the business of tonight. The business of tonight is reflection. The business of tonight is looking back on the year of 2020. So we'll move right into our one-point question. Josh, you just left us off with 2021, and I'm going to ask you in a moment here to begin with 2020. Josh, what was some of the music that wasn't new in 2020 but was new to you? Thanks for coming to me first on this one, Jake, because I feel like this is right up my alley. Um, I, I do yearly playlists just like you do, um, but mine almost always end up being two-thirds, if not three-quarters, old music that I'm just hearing for the first time. This year, it actually ended up being more like 50-50, which I was kind of proud of. Um, but so th this year, I, I kind of I, I went back to artists from the not too distant past, like sort of from my, you know, 
youth and young manhood who I knew, but then I got to know a little bit better through some stuff that I found this year. And the two that I want to single out are Jenny Lewis and Bell and Sebastian. Um, Bell and Sebastian actually released a new live album called What to Look For in Summer. And it's a really, really fun album. You know, we, we've discussed a lot on this, on our previous music, music podcast, how much I love live albums. This is another great one. And it had, you know, a few of the classic, uh, you know, old favorites that I was familiar with. But then a lot of the newer of some newer songs that have just come come out in the last five six years, um, you know, poor boy and I can see your future are the two that that come to mind uh, right away. But that was an album that I really really liked and and Jenny Lewis, you know, I I knew a little bit from uh, from Rilo Kylie and I you know had picked up a song here and there that I would hear on you know XPN the you know the uh, local radio station here in Philadelphia. But I listened to a few of her. Um, older albums all the way through Acid Tongue, but most recently that I listened to all the way through, and that one's just really, really good front to back. Um, so, so it was those two that I, I was, those two artists who I was very familiar with, um, that that I feel like I just got like a, a more complete appreciation for. That was what was new to me uh, in 2020. Yeah, to sort of piggyback off that point, Josh, about artists that you're familiar with or were familiar with and sort of took more of a deep dive, one of my two that I'm going to mention goes exactly that route. And in 2020, it was Fleetwood Mac for me. Uh, I mean, Fleetwood Mac is a band that's been around for decades, and obviously I've heard their hit songs, you know, countless times on the radio and on various, you know, playlists, but... I mean, I really got into Fleetwood Mac this year. The Rumors album in particular um, is one I picked up on vinyl this year. And I mean, literally every song on the album is a huge, massive hit. Um, but I, you know, I, I tried to get into you know, some of their live stuff too. And my number one song on Spotify this year was a live recording of a song called I'm So Afraid. Uh, from a recording that they did on PBS back in 2004. This is a, your classic Lindsey Buckingham guitar whale um, adventure. This song is, the live recording is 10 minutes long. The vocal portion of the song is two and a half minutes. And I suppose it should come as a shock to no one that my number one song in 2020 featured an angry seven and a half minute guitar solo. Um, it just felt like a song that I, connected with a lot and could sort of escape to, but also feel upset during and also just completely think of nothing else except the beauty of this wailing guitar. So that was one for me. And then I mentioned the Rumors album, a song that didn't make it onto the Rumors album is another Fleetwood Mac track that I came across this year by the title of Silver Springs. This is a Stevie Nicks song that was not included on the Rumors album because they felt like it was too depressing to put on there. And it's basically the Stevie Nicks half of the Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham breakup story. Of course, Lindsey Buckingham gets his track on Rumors in Go Your Own Way. And ironically, Silver Springs was only 
later released as the B-side to Go Your Own Way. So on the one half, you have the Buckingham version, and on the other half, you have the Stevie Nicks version. I came across that song when listening to the deluxe version re-release of Rumors, and it's a beautiful song. And I mean, Stevie Nicks' vocals are, are tremendous. So my sort of deep dive into Fleetwood Mac took me to, to those two songs in particular. Dan, Fleetwood Mac is a great band, and I... My renaissance with Fleetwood Mac happened a few, um, you know, maybe five years ago, and it's because my wife loves them so much. Um, they were actually one of the band, one of the last bands that I saw live prior to the 2020. And Lindsey Buckingham had been uh, kicked out of the band uh, again, I think, at that point. You know, that, that's I think one that's of the great. Right. Yes, that's one of the great <laughs> things about that band. Like they have the all-time behind the music yes. story what I was not prepared for was just what a madman Mick Fleetwood is. Yep. I mean, he was just incredible and he's got his own, you know, camera right on his face during his, during these, you talk about Lindsey Buckingham's guitar solos, Mick Fleetwood's drum solos were just as lengthy yep. and they have a camera on his like bulging eyes while he's doing this. It was incredible. He, he does look like a man possessed during most of his performances. Yeah, because as part of this renaissance, I've gone down the rabbit hole of YouTube music videos and, and concert performances. You know, we've talked about this before. You can't go see everybody. So you've got to live vicariously through these videos we find online. And you're right. And, and yes, I mean, as part of this renaissance as well, I've, I've done a, a little bit, a modicum of research into Fleetwood Mac and yeah, that Rumors album is in part so good because of all the turmoil behind the scenes. Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham breaking up, Christine and John McVie separating during that time. Christine McVie left the band later, as you said, Josh, I think they kicked Lindsey Buckingham out of the band on multiple occasions. So anywho, Fleetwood Mac for me was, was one this year. And the only other one that I'm, that I'm going to mention, uh, everybody knows my love of movie soundtracks and not just I mentioned Forrest Gump off the top that's a soundtrack that includes other songs but I like movie scores um, Gabe I'm equally excited about Hans Zimmer and, and James Bond converging in 2021 the score that I came across in 2020 though that I was not familiar with was decades ago and it's Lawrence of Arabia and it's one of the great movie scores of all time. And shame on me, it's a movie I had not seen until this year, pretty early on in the pandemic. I set out to, okay, on a night when I don't know what in the heck to watch, I'm going to watch one of the AFI top 100 movies. And Lawrence of Arabia was one of the early offerings. And it struck me how stinking good this movie score is. And it's Maurice Jarre. And it basically is the re like all the movie scores that I have come to love in later years, courtesy of Hans Zimmer and Michael Giacchino and John Williams and so on and so on and so forth are at least in part heavily influenced by the work of Maurice Jarre and specifically the work on Lawrence of Arabia. You may not be able to get that main overture theme into your head right now, but I promised if you pulled it up and heard it, you would know it instantly. It is iconic. And so that soundtrack is one that I came to after the movie and, and, and really enjoyed throughout the course of this year. And just to jump in there quickly, um, love what you're saying about the Lawrence of Arabia soundtrack. And you're, and you're absolutely right about that, that, that main theme. You don't know it, and then you hear it, and you do know it. 
with the Fleetwood Mac renaissance, though, I, I'm wondering if I'm seeing into my future here a little bit because, you know, Josh, as you were talking about your sort of maybe initial reticence to Fleetwood Mac, that's kind of where I feel like I am right now. It's a band that I've never really been totally fond of. However, just like you, my wife is extremely fond of Fleetwood Mac. So I'm wondering if uh, perhaps a couple of years into the future, I'll be experiencing a similar renaissance to to what you and you and Dan just described. Um, Listen to Tusk. That's a great song. All right, Tusk. Agreed, Tusk. And yeah, listen to a studio recording and then listen to the live version from the live album, The Dance. They do it with the USC marching band on stage. It's, it's a prime. All right. Love, love the ed, the educator loves being educated. So this is this is this is great. This is great. Uh, Gabe, we'll throw it over to you. Yeah, uh, just to piggyback off all the Fleetwood Macness, Macity, Massity going on, all the Fleetwoodiness that's happening right now. Um, rumors, tremendous album. Um, we were actually gifted that on vinyl for Christmas. Um, so yeah, whole new way to. Um, and yeah, to your to your uh, point, Jay, I think. Um, for me, Fleetwood Mac also was not a band that grabbed the ear immediately. Obviously, there was a few standout songs. Dan dropped, you know, Go Your Own Way. That's, you know, an earworm along with any of the best of them. But I think they're a band that rewards deep listens, you know, many listens. Um, and, and that's an album especially that, that definitely does that. They're, they're at full force, full power on that, on that album. Um, I think I heard Mick Fleetwood describe that album as like the church they built to sort of try and contain everything that was going on with them at one point but uh, but to my 2020 and what um what's sort of been at least recently in our in our playlist um I, I got a couple one is um a classic that we have talked about here actually on this before um speaking of things we got on vinyl uh i got in sort of a large pack multi-pack of uh various and lovely old vinyl that uh, my father handed down because we have his turntable now um among them was george harrison's all things must pass which as we've discussed is simply a tremendous album um 1970 it's his first post Beatles solo effort um it's a multi-disc affair it's a monster and it's glorious all the way through um yeah I'm you know <laughs> we all here can agree on that and uh, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know but for me the standouts obviously My Sweet Lord is a, a tremendous song um I think Art of Dying is uh, one that stuck out for me I think that one's a really uh, unexpectedly it's got a great pickup it's just on its feet already as soon as it goes and um I think Awaiting on You All is maybe one of the best songs the Beatles never recorded, which is the case for several of these songs in point of fact, I guess. Um, but also, uh, I, I want to give a shout out to disc five or side five, I guess, as I have it, the whole Apple Jam side. I think that's just a neat, I, I, I do love this. This album sort of sets the template for what rockers can do in the 70s. Um, you know, it comes out pretty early on, and there's a lot of people, I think, that see how somebody can craft a, an individual sound and style for themselves even out of the shadow of something as massive as the Beatles um and yeah I think Apple Jam is a big statement on that it's just one you know it's three songs played all the way through that's basically built around a couple of riffs I think maybe they're almost improvised it's a that's just a really neat uh, sequence of songs um and similarly since I'm still on the vinyl track that is most of what gets played these days it's Talking Heads um specifically we have a live double record of a uh, I think 79 the four piece and uh 8081, a larger 10 piece set, uh, once in a lifetime, again, both live. And, and there's, it's just a collection of great songs. And I'm starting to learn more about, you know, the fun and fascinating individual and groups of individuals that make up, um, the talking heads. It's just really funky, fun music. Again, you talk about people that are doing 
exactly what they want to do. I mean, these sounds are exactly, I think, what um, they're aiming for. Gabe, I love the Talking Heads. And uh, Dave, one of David Byrne's solo efforts made it onto my, uh, I think it was like a 2019 playlist. Uh, Concrete and Stone is the name of the song. They're tremendous. Um, Nothing But Flowers is probably my favorite of their songs. That one, I need to go back then. I'm, so while I haven't listened to these guys, I haven't been listening clearly enough to get this committed to memory yet. I, I haven't quite absorbed that one yet. And, and I have to, you know, shame to admit it too, but I guess they're the standouts for a reason. These, um, a lot of the ones I've been gravitating towards singly, I think are, are kind of the better known ones. Um, Burning Down the House from 83 Speaking in Tongues is just a really fun romp of a song. Um, everybody knows Psycho Killer. Um, although I think for a younger generation, that's as much thanks to the game Rock Band as anything else. Um, Life During Wartime always was an earworm for me, uh, an early effort of theirs. And, and I think my favorite, though, for right now anyway, is Once in a Lifetime. There's that arpeggiating sequencer behind it um, that really just catches my ear immediately, that sort of sparkly sound. And um, yeah, it just has me for the, rest of the, for the rest of the tune. It's a really fun song. And uh, one, I guess, new, new thing, uh, and this is another uh, uh, pass down from the Reeser. Um, it's a group called Krungbin. Uh, it's spelled in a way you'd never understand, but it, it sounds, it's like just this side of sort of an island rock type of a thing. A lot of the songs sound the same, but boy, is it easy to listen to. It's really fascinating sort of guitar spirals and um, it's uncomplicated. Uh, it, again, it's, it sounds like it's, I think, three people that are making exactly the kind of sounds they want to. And, um, you know, for the kind of just puttering around the house, uh, as you will, on a lazy Saturday or Sunday, um, it's kind of the perfect thing to put on. You know, this is one of the things that I was so excited about for this episode, you know, kind of both directions that Gabe, you just went in. Um, on the one hand, like I've been, you know, writing down all of these, these different bands and songs that you're all suggesting has given me all these ideas of things that I either want to go back and listen to or things that I haven't heard of and, and want to want to listen to the first time. Um, Gabe, to your point with Krungbin, um, I, I love how you described it. It's, to, it's totally spelled in a way that you would have never, never expected. That's the way that that word is actually spelled. Exactly. Um, Anybody want to try? You guys right now, Jordan obviously knows. Dan, Josh, you want to give it a shot at Krungbin? And we'll then type into the chat. We'll, we'll spell I, it out for I you. mean, yeah, we know but, Dan hasn't looked at the outline, so I think he should correct. go first. No, but the, but the fact that it came, it, the fact that it came from your dad's record collection, God only knows where he found this thing. That impresses me even more because I, I, I mean, at least if I'm, if I, I'm, if I'm correct, Krungbin is 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 a bit of a newer newer operation. Oh, kind of a new record. <laughs> Um, no, it is. Uh, they're, um, I think they're even like a 2010s or late 20 teens band. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think all of them were either like session musicians or in other bands mm -hmm. um, and they all happen to find each other this way. And as for, uh, yeah, as for how my dad tends to find music, it used to be um, back in the days of record buying, uh, he and his roommates in college would go to a record store, they would get whatever they were there to get and look for. Um, but oftentimes they would come away with one record that just looked interesting. I, I distinctly remember a trip to Princeton Record Exchange oh, yeah. easily 15 years ago where he did that exact thing. He pulled out, I believe it was a Matt Pond EP. Oh, wow. It was definitely was, Matt Pond. And it was like, oh, I just, I just think the artwork looks cool. 
Boy, and I'm like, what are you, are you kidding me? Like it could be total garbage. Now, mercifully at Princeton record exchange, you pick a random CD because the artwork looks cool. The most you're shelling out is a buck 99. The place is, is literally a second heaven. Um, but of course he puts it in this and I'm thinking like, this could be anything like this could be in another language. You have no idea what you're getting into here. And he pops it in the CD. And of course it's beautiful. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. Here. Yeah, no, we got Well, I mean, that's a well-practiced hand at that too. We got a lot of mileage out of Matt Pond PA, but um, that was then. Now uh, the music selection, the new music selection process is a little more new agey, even for him. He's uh, a big uh, listener of Pandora and other internet radios. So um, when. Wow. I thought it with- used to be YouTube for him. Uh, still is sometimes, okay, yeah. Okay. Um, sort of, you know, autoplays related song. You know, if you you may also like that kind of a thing. Um, but true form, he has also liked a lot of the other music they've uh, they've recommended. So I, I think that's where Chrome Bin comes from now. I don't know what he would have been listening to that this would have come up. Is it Chrome Bin or Bing? Krung Bin. It's all one word. Krung. I'm looking at the word in the little in the doc here. It. It looks like, like we were talking about Kling, the Klingon language. It looks, <laughs> it looks like a Klingon, Klingon. word. Yeah. That may, in fact, be why he picked it out in the first place. I, I think Shran007 is going to be disappointed to find that this is slowly but surely becoming a research appreciation podcast. Um, Can I just ask one last question about Krungbin? Uh, uh, Dan, I'll throw uh, it over to you there first. Before we get there, though, one other so, – so, Gabe, I had mentioned how, like, I was, I was so excited to hear about some of the bands that you – had referenced that I wasn't familiar with. Krungbin is one that I was familiar with, and I have a recommendation for you. Um, they released, along with Leon Bridges last year, an EP called Texas Sun. Uh, it's only like four or five songs long, but really, really nice, really, really nicely done. I actually think I know this, uh, this record. Um, I think I, I got some of those for my dad for a birthday or, or something like that. I, I made him a CD. I, I, made, him a, I made him a tape. Um, but that was one of his requests actually was, um, he had heard that too. And that was when he wanted or some of those tunes. That's when he wanted on there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I like oh, it. I like it. Uh, Dan. I know this book. <laughs> I would just like to ask a question. Oh, one last question about Krung bin. Uh, wh- where are these gentlemen or ladies? Where's this group from? It, it certainly doesn't sound like a word. Obviously I'm familiar with. And- I think, I think they're based out of Texas. Yes. I think they're all um, Americans, which actually makes it that much more unlikely that they would be uh, such a new, you know. All right. So I did, I did, I did pull up the notes. So for our listeners, for those of you who mercifully are, are still standing after the Krung bin conversation, it's spelled K-H-R-U-A-N-G-B-I-N. How else would you pronounce that? It's so there you go, Krungbin, and I assume you can find uh, these gentlemen and/or ladies on Spotify. Or, Absolutely. Okay. Sure. All right. For well, all your listening pleasure. That's great. Um, great. I did not expect to go down the the uh, the the Krungbin <laughs> rabbit hole, but but kind of glad that we did. Love to be given some given uh, Krungbin some love on Dorkfest the podcast. Uh, it's but, good music. It's mostly instrumental. Give it a listen. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I, I definitely recommend it uh, in, in case that hasn't been made obvious already. Uh, a couple of other recommendations that I have from 2020 that were not new in 2020. Um, both of these came from other things that I heard them in. Um, so the first one is Joan Armitrading, um, who's actually one of – actually, my mother-in-law is one of her favorite artists. So I would heard the name a lot. 
but hadn't necessarily listened to her music a whole lot. Um, and the song Save Me was the theme song for the HBO documentary on the Atlanta Child Birders that came out this last year. Um, and I found myself getting into documentaries a lot, so that's why I was gravitating to that. But gravitated to that song, just thought it was, you know, kind of a, a beautiful encapsulated, just, just really touching song um a couple of other my favorite tracks on that specific album that it then drew me to which is her self-titled 1976 album joan arbitrating a couple other uh, tracks that i love on that album or came to really enjoy this year uh down to zero which is the opening track water with the wine which is just a real fun track and then somebody who loves you um not surprising, a lot of the music that I selected this year had to do a lot with song that made me, songs that, you know, made me think about my son. And that's the song that, that I sing to Nolan a lot. So that's definitely something that, that I thought about a lot and something that I liked a lot in 2020. Um, one other one, um, heard him because unfortunately he had passed in 2020 and I was listening to you know, Josh earlier, you referenced WXPN, the local Philly radio station. Um, they do a world cafe live um, every day. And after John Prine had passed, um, they replayed um, an interview that they had had with him. Not sure exactly when the interview was, uh, but a couple of albums that were referenced and that he talked about on that interview were his 1971 self-titled album, John Prine, and then his most recent album um, before, before he passed, Tree of Forgiveness, which came out in 2018. A couple of uh, tracks that I really came to enjoy from him, Sam Stone, Angel from Montgomery, Your Flag Decal Won't Get You Into Heaven Anymore, Summer's End, and Boundless Love. Um, so those were my two sort of 2020, not new, but found myself gravitating towards them a lot. Um, so, so yeah. So, Dorks, before we move on to the two-point question, which is where we will be taking our deep dive into albums and songs released during the year 2020, interested to hear if anybody else has, you know, just a, another couple of quick notes that they want to throw out there. Anybody else, any other bands or songs that you found yourself gravitating towards during 2020 that weren't released in 2020? Dan, we'll go ahead and start with you. I will throw two quick ones out there real fast. I've heard a couple people say, I'm ashamed to admit I'm just coming to this now. And I was just about to say that, but I had the thought when other people said that, like, don't be ashamed. It doesn't matter how you get to things and it doesn't matter when you get to things, just kind of enjoy that you got to them. So uh, the example for me is uh, the Van Morrison song, Tupelo Honey, which is just like a really pretty song that I was not terribly familiar with until I heard it, Gabe, points for you here, uh, on U2X Radio on Sirius XM. The Edge was having one of those, let's play some of our songs and some other songs that we like. It was on there and I was like, my God, that's a good song. Um, and then the other song that I came to this year is a newer song, not 2020 new, uh, but Father, John's, Father John Misty's God's Favorite Customer. It's the title track off that album. And I've heard that album before, and that song didn't stick out until I heard a live version of it on a live album that he released this year, Off Key in Hamburg. And I was like, my God, that is a really good song. Like, where, where is this God's Favorite Customer song from? And of course, duh, Dan, it's from the album entitled God's Favorite Customer. So either the live version or the studio version, uh, both tremendous. Uh, if you like Father John Misty, I I'm sure you're familiar with that song. But th those will be the two that I'd throw out there. Yeah, Dan, love that you bring up that Father John Misty song. I had also come across that that uh, live album that he released this past year. And I agree that, that that album as a whole, God's Favorite Customer, is it just doesn't quite live up 
to the other ones, Fear Fun and I Love You Honey Bear. Um, but in terms of some of the live versions of those songs that's on that live album, they're, they're, they're quite good. Well, I, completely, I completely disagree uh, about your take on that album. But we'll, we'll save that for, for another time. All right, there we go. Only other song I want to mention is um, I, list, I mentioned on an earlier podcast that my kids have been watching a lot of Pokemon this year. One of the series is called Pokemon Journeys. Listen to the theme song from Pokemon Journeys. That song rips. It's on Spotify, and it is a real, like, psych you up song. The journey starts today is, 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 what, is what you're looking for. The Pokemon series has a, an excellent track record of songs that absolutely rip. I'm happy to hear that they're still going, and I'm going to listen to the song as soon as we close out these proceedings tonight. I, I can still sing, I think, most verses to the original. <laughs> I will not do it here on this podcast, or probably ever. Um, but I remember, let's say, most of the verses to that first Pokemon theme. That song is awesome. Uh, Josh, do you or do you not listen to that theme song to hype you up before each episode of Dorkfest the podcast? No need. I was born ready for this. Well, dorks, we'll move on to what you've all been waiting for, the doling out of the one-point question. And, and, and I've already, you know, decided this may give you a little bit of a, an advantage or may cause you to audible a little bit as we move into the two- and three-point questions. I've already decided that I'm going to be basing the points that I'm doling out based on the recommendations that you give and how important, how consequential, be a better word, they are to me. And for that reason, the one-point question is going to be going to Dan. Because Dan... Your suggestion for Fleetwood Mac, that's got me inspired. It's got me inspired to maybe give Fleetwood Mac a chance. Um, Josh, appreciated some of the selections that you gave. Um, Jenny Lewis is, uh, is an artist that I'm pretty familiar with and really enjoy a lot of her stuff. Um, but ultimately, not you know, an artist that I'm already, I'm already listening to. Um, Gabe, likewise, we don't need to talk anymore about how we both like Krungbin. I think we did that enough. Um, but and also... The people may want more Krungbin. <laughs> they might be. Maybe maybe it's going to be Krungbin, the podcast. No, gotta have okay. more Krungbin, baby. I got a fever. <laughs> and the only prescription... <laughs> and the only prescription is more Krungbin. Um, so anyway, Dan, one point. Congratulations. Or, or maybe we should give the one point to Krungbin. No, Dan, you take it. No. No, I'm going to go my own way and take that one point and run. It's a good thing that you already have it because that was pretty lame. Not speaking of lame, hopefully. Um, a lot of great music came out during 2020. So we're going to move right into our two-point question, uh, which is when I'd like to hear from all the dorks to hear what was the new music that came out during 2020 that you really found yourself gravitating towards. Uh, Dan, you can continue going your own way, but I do ask that you go first. I'd be happy to. Um, for me, the new music in 2020 conversation uh, begins and ends with Taylor Swift. Um, Taylor Swift is an artist that I was not, I was obviously familiar with, but had not really connected with, you know, put the albums on repeat, gone back to specific songs over and over again until this year. And maybe it's the fact that Taylor Swift is now 31 years old and is writing songs that, um, you know, resonate a little more with me than some of her 
earlier offerings. I've always respected her songwriting ability. I've always respected the fact that she writes her own music. I've always respected the talent that's there. She's just never really spoke to me or written music that I really could get behind until this year. And as everybody knows, unless you've been living under a rock, um, you know, she released two albums this year, Folklore and Evermore. And I think they're both tremendous. I think Folklore to me is a a little, just a touch better. Um, But basically what happened is as a result of the quarantine, she starts working on some projects and working on some songs and releases an album. And then normally when you're Taylor Swift, you go on a massive global world tour and you end up on GMA and you shoot six music videos and you have to do all this stuff, except in 2020 when you can't do any of that stuff. And so what you then do is say, okay, I got some pretty good momentum here with myself. And I believe it's Aaron Dessner from The National is who she basically produced these albums with. Um, like we got a, we got a pretty good thing going here and we've still got some material on the table. Let's make another album. And so they go and they make another album and, and that's evermore. And that's just as good. Um, it it just, I I guess it's, you know, a, a maturity in songwriting or maybe just the things that she was feeling when she wrote some of these songs are things that I was feeling when I listened to some of these songs there are songs that stand out, but to me, these albums are, you just start it from the beginning and you just let it ride and because every song is good. And, and there's, there are some of those country music elements that sneak in there that are not totally for me, but the more subdued, subtle, kind of quiet, soft-spoken, thoughtful, contemplative Taylor Swift, that's the Taylor Swift for me. So uh, on folklore, standout tracks for me are Cardigan, The Last Great American Dynasty, and Exile, which is a song that uh, features Bon Iver, Bon Iver. Which one bon is Iver. it? Bon Iver. There it bon, is. Okay. Bon Iver. Uh, and then he is back on Evermore. Uh, the title track on that, on that album is very good. Um, I also really enjoy the song Champagne Problems, and Marjorie, which is a song, I believe, about her maternal grandmother. Um, so just kind of getting into more mature songwriting. And anyway, so uh, Taylor Swift for me is is a big one for this year. Uh, just, you know, again, an artist that like, obviously I was familiar with, but, but really came to this year. And then Jordan, I'll give you credit for the second one because, and this is not to curry favor with the moderator or any of that kind of nonsense, but- it Might still work. I, yeah, I'm not going to get points for, you know, recommending new music for Jordan when this is music he recommended to me. Uh, but Low Cut Connie is, a, is an interesting artist, a Philly-based, Philly-based band, but it's really just, it's really one guy, you know, he's, he's the genesis for everything. Um, clearly, uh, and even if you don't know he's from Philly, and even if you don't know anything about him, you listen to just a couple of tracks. And this is a guy who is clearly influenced by Bruce Springsteen. So right there, you've got me hooked. Um, it's a 17 track album, Private Lives, uh, that probably is a really, it's a really good 10 or 11 track album. It's, it's at times a bloated 17 track album, but there are some really good songs. I say bloated because they're, 
if you haven't listened to it, there are, you know, a handful of songs that are like a buck 45 to 215 long, and they just don't feel like they're fleshed out. Um, they feel so, somewhat incomplete, but the four minute four and a half minute songs that are kind of worked through are really good. They're high energy. Some of them, the best song on the album though, is one that's not high energy. It's when he goes the more quiet, uh, thoughtful route, which we've seen the boss do at times. And it's really good when it works. And the song is look what they did. And it's, it is a blatant um, accusation against uh, individuals like Donald Trump and other wealthy folk who made all these promises about um, restoring Atlantic City and, and building that up to be um, to, to basically save Atlantic City and taking everyone's money and running. And he doesn't cut any corners. He doesn't make any excuses. I mean, he goes right after him. And that kind of honest, um, that sort of honest appraisal, I, I thought was was really interesting and really good. Uh, that's a great song. Uh, and then I also like Help Me and Now You Know. They're more upbeat, kind of like, yay, I can rock out kind of songs. So uh, yeah, Taylor Swift for me and Low Cut Connie are two that I'm going to throw out there. Sorry, Dan, what was that that first artist's name again? Did T Taylor Swoop? You might know uh, her as, as T-Swift. Oh, oh, Swift. Okay, I'll, I'll have to... I'll have to look her up on the google machine bit of a new artist yeah. very new for me dan it'll it'll come as no surprise that i very much agree with your recommendation of loca connie um the music critic i'm blanking on his name but he contributes on fresh air with terry gross um he 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 made the point that he thought that that was a better Bruce Springsteen album than the actual Bruce Springsteen album of this year. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that um, because I think Letter to You is very, very good and a very, very good Bruce Springsteen album. Um, however, Dan, Help Me is one song that I hear and, and, I, and, and when I hear that song, I hear Bruce Springsteen. I agree with you there. And I think that Low Cut Connie clearly has Springsteen influences. I don't know how in the world someone can say that as long as Bruce Springsteen is still making records and Bruce Springsteen is not phoning in these records, by the way, um, as long as Bruce is still making records, I don't know how someone can say that somebody else makes a better Bruce record than Bruce himself. I mean, if it's just one of these Twitter clickbait nonsense hot takes, then that's fine. Uh, I don't agree with that. And, and I like this record a lot, but it's, it's not a better Bruce album. And to me, it's also not a better album than Letter to You. Uh, I didn't want to mention Letter to You because I you know, was trying to throw out some new stuff that I haven't talked about uh, because I think everybody knows my affinity for, for that new Bruce album. Yeah, Dan, I'll go next because uh, the, I was basically going to say the exact same thing that you just did about the Bruce album. Um, I love Letter to You, uh, new in 2020. And for all of our thoughts on that, see our Bruce Springsteen podcast. Um, the, the, the next, I'll say album, but it's really just one song off that album that I don't just like, but love. It's it's uh, My Morning Jacket, The, the Waterfall Two, I, I made the, the joke when we were and our brother in the our text group. I think I made this joke when Jordan told me, told us that they that this new album was out. I was like, well, do I have to listen to Waterfall One first? Um, 
you know, new music is really not my thing as, as I've, as I've indicated, but wasted is probably my favorite song of the year. That is a absolutely rocking tune. And, and Dan, you were talking about the, the guitar solo on that, um, that Fleetwood Mac song. Uh, and I feel like that's what the, the sort of jam session guitar solo in the middle of Wasted uh, is, is tremendous. And like I said, I think that's probably my favorite song of 2020. And the other one that I wanted to mention is a band that I found on Spotify a few years ago. It's a Scottish rock band from the 80s called The Waterboys. And there was one album of theirs from, I think it was 1985, that I, I just, I found like six or seven songs on there that I really, really liked. That album's called This Is The Sea, but they actually put out a new album this year. And the, the track off there that I want to highlight is called My Wanderings in the Weary Land. This is an absolutely bizarre, out there, rocking song. Uh, this, is, this song is like half rock opera, half spoken word track, and half ethical manifesto. And I know that gives me three halves, but the song is like seven minutes long. So I feel relatively safe in my math there. I'm sure it's not for everybody, but it's got this driving guitar behind it. And, you know, Jay, you're handing out points for, for, for being profound. I, I, I probably didn't earn any with my Pokemon reference. Maybe I would uh, with, uh, with this song. There's some pretty, uh, uh, you know, pretty serious introspection, pretty serious uh, thought going on in this one. The Water Boys, My Wanderings in the Weary Land. And at the very least, you might get some points for novelty. I, I take them for wherever I can get them. I don't know anything about that artist and that song, but I'm interested to check it out. The Waterfall 2, you're right, Josh. Wasted is the best song on that album. What's so good about it is that song, to me, reminds me of the kind of My Morning Jacket music that made us fall in love with them in the first place one big holiday run through like it's in the vein of those songs another song on that album though that i really do like is feel you that's one of the uh, kind of a more slow my morning jacket tune uh, but i also think really enjoyable but yeah wasted because it's like the music that made us fall in love with them that's the go-to track well on that song i mean they just really embrace the musical interlude and I, Dan, I think that's what you're talking about, about like that component being the thing that we really fell in love with. Um, specifically, Dan, I remember when you gave me Z, um, I think you had referenced that like you know, you'd said something along the lines like this is the new Radiohead. And, and that that didn't quite come true, um, but still an excellent and along with the waterfall too the only other song that i'll mention is actually the first song on that album spinning my wheels that's a song that i'm partial to out of the three that have been listed it's definitely three out of three for me but i do think that it's a solid track still on that album and i'll go ahead and jump in there here with my two suggestions from um 2020 my my first one is an artist that i've been familiar with for a couple of years but she put out a new album this year um uh, the album is saint cloud and the artist is waxahatchee um her actual name is Katie Crutchfield. Um, some of my favorite tracks on here, um, Oxbow, Lilacs, which is actually my number one song of the year. That's my favorite song of the year. Um, Arkadelphia and the title track, St. Cloud. Um, this album was released March 27th. And I think 
for me, that was part of why this is such an important album for me. It, you know, it came two weeks into the initial shutdown. I was listening, obviously, to a ton of music because we couldn't go anywhere and we couldn't do anything. So when I can't go anywhere and I can't do anything, I pull up Spotify and I listen to music. And this was always the, the, the music that I was queuing up first. And I think part of the reason why, um, you know, I was reading a Pitchfork review on this album and it said, with a shift in tone, Crutchfield creates a vivid modern classic of folk and Americana. And over the course of the past four or five years, I found myself really coming to be attached to folk music and kind of the, the soft, somber storytelling that goes along with folk music. And I feel like Waxahachie really embraced this in this specific album. Um, Out in the Storm, which is probably my second favorite album of hers, which came out, I believe, in 2017, but I might have the year wrong there. Um, that's a bit more of a rocking album. Um, this one, you know, she, she as, as the review states, she definitely shifts the tone. It's a bit softer. Um, and the album, I think, you know, on top of the storytelling that's so consequential with it, um, it's also deeply personal. Um, it's about the process of her getting sober. She describes the central themes as addiction and codependency. Um, and I think, you know, as, as I had mentioned earlier, you know, we're all so isolated over the course of 2020. I, I feel like this personal album, it, it felt like there was a person in the home with us and it felt like there was a person who was, who was telling us a story. Um, and you know, for that reason, St. Cloud from Waxahachie is probably my number one album of the year. Um, and definitely contains my number one song of the year in Lilacs. Um, the other album, which is another folk, um, folk artist, um, selection, um, is the album Bonnie Light Horseman by the band Bonnie Light Horseman. Um, and my number two song of the year is called Bonnie Light Horseman. Now, Bonnie Light Horseman is the folk supergroup comprised of Eric D. Johnson, who you might know from Fruit Bats, um, Anais Mitchell from the Hadestown musical, and then also the album that came before it, um, and then also Josh Kaufman, who has worked with The National, Josh Ritter, and Bob Weir. Um, and and it's, it's really, you know, interesting. The album contains a mix of reworked traditional British folk songs and also original material that kind of fits that same mold. Um, Gabe, as I'm describing all of this, makes me think like, if if your dad is not already listening to Bonnie Light Horseman, your dad should listen to Bonnie Light Horseman because it feels like totally the kind of album that he would definitely like. Um, some of my favorite tracks on there, as I had already mentioned, Bonnie Light Horseman, but also The Roving, I think it's great. Deep in Love, Jane Jane, which is an adaptation of the gospel song, Children Go Where I Send Thee, um, Magpie's Nest, and Bright Morning Stars. Um, it, it's just a really, really unique album. You know, I, I was listening to a review of this album um, and, and, they, and they talked about how, you know, if you've heard British or Irish or Appalachian folk music before, you'll recognize some of the names, um, but how the, the artists here just do a really nice job of, you know, the review says, gently cutting these songs from aging roots, transplanting them to the present. Um, and, and I just totally agree. It's just a really, really unique sound that they're able to create. I, I think, you know, amongst all of the albums that I listened to this year, this is an album where I haven't heard anything else like this this year. And I just really like it. You guys are letting me know here um, that I need to try and seek out new life and new musicians. And in my 
in my, you know, in my CD changer, you know, my, my six, six disc affair over here. Um, no, I'm not all that far behind. I just uh, have sort of kept to in my own new 2020 guys. It's the, I got lucky in that a couple of guys I listened to were able to release a little bit of the music. Um, at the start of all of this, uh, in fact, the album title is named for the date on which it was released. Um, Donald Glover as Childish Gambino dropped a, uh, an album, 31520. It was also teased as Donald Glover Presents, so it's occasionally referred to as that. Um, and it's, um, I keep coming back to it. I got It's not going to be, and I know this, it's not going to be my favorite of Childish Gambino's efforts, but it's a really interesting um, full through play of a record. Um, it feels, this is going to sound like a criticism, and it's not, it feels a lot longer than it actually is. It's just short of an hour, um, but all the songs connect. Um, they, they flow into one another, whether they're following a, a beat or, you know, another kind of loop um, that gets put on differently. Um, you know, some piece of music that gets stretched out until it becomes something else. The early tracks are the standout ones, and then it gets, um, I mean, it starts off kind of fun, but then also dark and industrial, and it gets almost cacophonic by the middle. And the end is almost kind of a party. It's a very fascinating record. You kind of have to listen to it all the way through. I'm not going to recommend it for everybody. Um, so chances are, if you're listening to this, it may not be the record for you. Start with other Childish Gambino material, but then come back to this one, because I think it's a, a fascinating experiment. Um, and again, uh, since the theme of my music tonight here seems to be just listen to the whole darn thing, uh, this is another <laughs> entry in my listen to the whole darn thing uh, category. And on, on the much shorter side, um, the band Snow Patrol uh, released a five, it's not quite an album, so I guess I'm cheating here, but uh, they released a five song EP called The Fireside Sessions that was, uh, it's listed as being produced in collaboration with the Saturday Songwriters. Um, because the Saturday songwriters are the fan base of Snow Patrol, effectively. What they did, and it was a really interesting experiment on Snow Patrol's part, um, mostly done by uh, frontman Gary Lightbody, he effectively reached out and collaborated on this album with the fans. They submitted uh, pieces of lyrics, chord progressions, um, and what you're left with is kind of something that is new material, and it's a lovely kind of alternately acoustic and um, sort of grand arena aspiration sound. Um, and then ultimately sort of both folded up in there. But it's really fascinating to sort of hear um, Lightbody in conversation, hear Snow Patrol in conversation with their fans in this song. It, some of the, of the bits are reminiscent of stuff they've made before. Um, so it's interesting to see what, you know, has resonated with the fans through now. And some of it is, um, is very new. Uh, Gary Lightbody, I think, is a very interesting guy. He's a writer that is very happy, especially in the last few albums, um, to break rhyme. Um, I think he focuses very much on the, on the lyrics and the content of it. And um, though, yeah, I am, I am well in keeping with my soaring Irish rock bands with mentioning Snow Patrol here. Um, they've always fascinated me and, and they're far from their two note plunky chasing cars days. Um, you know, not a bad song, a little cutesy. This is, it's a very, it's a very warm record. Um, this one I, I would recommend the fireside sessions by Snow Patrol. Gabe Snow Patrol is, that's interesting to hear you say that because they were a group that I was into and then promptly felt completely out of interest with, but have also come back to in recent years. I feel like they, even before the album that you referenced, they released an album a year or two prior that I listened to. And I was like, you know what? That's, that's actually not bad. Like there are some songs on there that I might listen to again. So that, that's interesting to hear you say that. 
I think that album is Fallen Empires. Um, and yeah, that is. Yes, that's exactly it. Yep. There's a bunch of um, either just really fun and jammy or, or pretty powerful songs on there too. Uh, the one before that, A Hundred Million Sons, um, I think is also well worthwhile. That's sort of the bridge, I think, between where they left off coming out of their like, hey, our songs on that show, The OC Days, and their sort of newer, um, I think, you know, <laughs> if I may, more mature sound. Um, as the band comes into their own, you can hear them developing all their musical style. And blah, blah, blah. Well, the end of that 100 Million Sons album, they do like a 15 minute, like it's one track, but it's really three songs, but it's like 15 minutes. Yeah, it's called and that's up. really good. Yeah, that's a that's a really, um, yeah, that's one connected, I think mostly, I think by the piano that floats. What is that, the lightning strike? The lightning strike, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, that's a really neat, um, that first part especially um, sticks with me, the the way that song builds, I think, is really impressively orchestral. Yeah. You can hear the storm brewing in the song, um, and then it breaks into a really nice, bright day in the middle bit there. And the end, I think, is kind of a, you know, not so, <laughs> uh, not so campy, as it were, but a little kumbaya-ish sort of, we all come together there at the end of the song. That's a, Yeah, that's a, that's a great song. I, I don't want to step on the moderator's toes here, but Jordy, are, are you okay if I just pose a question to a couple members of the group? Now I'm curious what the question is. So, I mean, you've stepped on my toes already. Yeah, I guess I hope you like that one point because you're probably not getting these yep, two. Yep, that's it. No, I, I just, I was curious because I know at least three members of this quartet, myself being one of those three, and, and Gabe, I don't mean to not include you, but I, I don't think you've ever been a huge fan of this particular band, but Josh and Jordan, I know you are. Uh, Pearl Jam released a new album in 2020, their first album in seven years, and yet neither of you mentioned that. Now, maybe it was in your, you know, honorable mentions, and I'm I'm spilling the beans here. Um, but I'm curious. I guess I'm curious what you thought of that, if if it even factored into the equation here, or potentially not at all. I'll go first. Um because I think Pearl Jam's album kind of fits in with another band that, you know, if we had recorded this podcast 15 years ago, I would not have been able to stop talking about Pearl Jam and Bright Eyes. And they both put out new albums this year. And I, you know, gave them a listen and then immediately moved on. The songs that I grew up with, with those bands, I, adored them then i still love them now i i come back to them a lot but i'm just not as connected to to the new stuff you know i don't think there was anything wrong with the with the pearl jam album necessarily um it came and went for me i'll echo josh's sentiments um pretty much the same experience for both of those a little less so with the bright eyes album um but i think I think the reason for why is similar with both of them and that it's, and it, and it, it kind of connects a little bit with what I was talking about in reference to Bonnie Light Horseman, which is that it, I wasn't hearing anything new from their sound and I wasn't hearing anything overwhelming about their sound. As I'm talking about this now, I'm realizing that, you know, with the Waterfall 2, which we talked about earlier, 
you know, we talked about how Wasted, how that's such a great song because it's going back to what um, they had done in the past. And, and I think that, you know, while that sound isn't necessarily new, it is, you know, it, it, it's overwhelming and it's, in, 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 at least for me, it's greatness. That's, uh, you know, that, that song makes its top five in terms of my um, songs of 2020 in reference to the Pearl Jam album, Dan, that you referenced and the Bright Eyes album, Josh, that you brought up. They, they, they just didn't add anything new to me. Um, they were fine, but not really anything more than that. Yeah, I think with most things that, that those two bands have put out, in the last 10 years, I, it, it's probably too harsh a criticism, but th there's almost a, a cheesiness in, in the way I perceive them. I mean, is it like a band almost trying to, is it like they're trying to be a cover band of themselves in a sense? I think especially with Bright Eyes. Like I do remember listening to, to that first Pearl Jam single and thinking that, that like, yes, this song is really good, but, um, yeah, I was listening to the Bright Eyes stuff and I was just like, wow, you know, Connor, like you're like you're 40 years old now. Like you can't sing like you're like you're 22 anymore. And um, it's interesting, too, because he went kind of from calling himself Bright Eyes to then over the course of about a decade releasing music under Connor Oberst. And and this, you know, Josh, as you were pointing out, was kind of him trying return to those roots but maybe awkward is is is, is a way to describe the sound of it. It, it you know it was fine but it, it wasn't overly consequential I, I think these are two great examples of bands that come to us in our formative years and so they will always be with us for special reasons particularly pearl jam for me i i'm a bright eyes fan as well but i mean you know, off the top of my head, I could list five Bright Eyes songs. And off the top of my head, I could list 75 Pearl Jam songs. Um, but the, these bands that we come to in, in our formative years, that then they continue to stick around, but like the memories just aren't quite what they were. And the new stuff just isn't quite what it was. And Josh, that first single, you're referring to Dance of the Clairvoyance, right? Yeah. If they made a whole album that sounded like that or was like a riff on that or was sort of inspired by that, I'm all in on that. Because that's, to me, by far the best song because it doesn't sound like stuff they've already done. And this is not to say that every time a band releases something, they need to do something different. Because a lot of times, bands put out albums that are, we just made the point about My Morning Jacket. Why do we like that song? Because it sounds like the My Morning Jacket that we fell in love with. So it's sort of like this dichotomy between either finding the sweet spot and going to it and making us feel at home or branching out. Okay, Taylor Swift does new stuff. Pearl Jam puts this one song out that doesn't sound like Pearl Jam before, but then the 11 songs around it sound like retreads of Mind Your Manners. And that song wasn't all that inspiring to begin with. So I'm out on that. So it's like, it's, it just feels to me like a difficult balance. That's where discovering new bands and new music is easy because you have no memory. You have no base foundation of how you feel about Low Cut Connie or Bonnie Light Horseman. This is just totally new. And so what you get is what you get and you form these, these new memories and these new impressions. So for bands that we 
are familiar with, it's so, the bar is so much higher for them. The bar is so much higher for Bright Eyes. The bar is so much higher for Pearl Jam. The bar is so much higher for Bruce Springsteen and you too when they put out new stuff because you're looking at it and you're like, all right, well, this, this has to live up to the Joshua Tree. This has to live up to Born to Run. This has to live up to Name a Bright Eyes album, Dan, which I apparently am incapable of doing at this exact moment. You released two on the same day, right? I'm wide awake. It's morning. There it is. And that's the one. And then the other digital one. ash and a digital urn. That's right. But the former was better than the latter. But anyway, in any event, like, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it until right now, but it's, and I'm not trying to like defend these bands because they make a lot more money than we do. And they're far more successful than we will ever be. And they've given us a whole lot, but I just, I think it's interesting to think about these existing bands and they release new stuff that we hold them to a different standard than we hold somebody we've never heard from before. I totally agree, Dan. And I think, I think it's a razor's edge because like there's a couple songs on letter to you, uh, power of prayer. uh, I'll call out that I heard that song. And it's just like, okay, I never need to hear this song again. Skip. So I, even on a, a really great album, there can still be, you know, there's that razor's edge of like, this is just a little too, you know, too close to something I've heard before, or it just doesn't do it for me. You know, that's the other hard part is that it's subjective. And Josh, the other thing that I think you're bringing up there is that it also speaks to certain artists that we have more of a soft spot for than others, right? Like you're, you're, you're bringing up this point between Bruce Springsteen, who is, I mean, I, I, I would wager a guess top three artist for you, top five, number one? No, he's top 10. Top 10. Okay. Where's Bright Eyes? Is Bright Eyes in the top 10? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So that, that kind of debunks my point. What I was thinking was that like you have, you have these certain artists that maybe you give a little bit more leeway with because they're Bruce Springsteen. Um, but no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Well, I just think the, the, the Bruce album is better it, like it, in this particular example. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, 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 I found myself like sad that I didn't enjoy the Bright Eyes album more. And, and you know, I, I, and I couldn't, you know, I, I don't know anything about music, like technically. So like, I can't pick it apart. All I know is I just listened to it and I was just like, I don't care to listen to any of these songs again. I've definitely felt that way listening to Mark Knopfler albums over the past probably three to four albums. Like he releases these albums and I listen to them all the way through. And there's usually, you know, in a 12 to 15 song population, there's three to four that are like, there it is. That's the one. It's, you know, so far from the Clyde and it's Holloway and it's Drover's Road. And like these songs that people listening are like, oh my God, I've never even heard of that song. But like, that's the Mark Knopfler song for me. And then there's a whole bunch of other songs about old shoes and the hat that I'm wear, I'm going to wear. And it's just like, I'm, I'm, I don't need that. Like I'm good. And, and I get that like, he's flexing different muscles and trying to do something that he's never done because he's released 15 albums or whatever. And so I understand the artistic desire to do different things. And sometimes we do different things and they work. And sometimes we do different things and they just sound repetitive. Um, So I thought it was interesting the way Josh 
put that because you're right. Like I've totally had that experience of like, Oh my God. Okay. Like my guy, he's releasing a new record and like, I'm going to buy it right away without even listening to any of it. Cause I know I'm going to love every second of it and you listen to it and you don't love every second of it. And that's okay. You know, you may love three or four songs and, and that's all you get out of it and that's fine. But you do sort of, as you get older, you, you have a more discerning ear maybe. And, and you also allow yourself to separate the fandom from the subjectivity that like, I love Pearl Jam. I will always love Pearl Jam. 10 is an iconic formative record for me. I will always have the memories of listening to their songs and, and going to their live shows with you guys. But I can listen to the new album, Gigaton, by the way, in case anyone forgot what it's called. Yep. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Yeah, no, nobody had any idea. And understand that like outside of Dance of the Clairvoyance and Seven O'Clock, which is another Springsteen ripoff song, like I'm good without the rest. Except for Bono. That guy never misses. I was going to say, Jay, if you're looking for the guy who is willing to give a pass to all of the sins of the people he likes, um, I'm your Huckleberry. But no, I, I think, you know, Dan, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but Gabe, even you, I mean, you've, you have to have listened to U2 albums, or the last two were both really good, um, Innocence and Experience. But like, you've had to have listened, even on those two records, and felt like, all right, this song is, is what it is, or this song is a retread of things they've done before. This song is just not up to snuff for them, or is not something new. Like, even with your most favorite band, you've had to have, felt that be careful gabe bono is always listening not once in my life no um no i'm for sure um and i i mean so part of what i was going to say in in response to your point dan is i think part of this depends on the artist right why are they making this album you know taylor swift is due for an album she's got you know she drops the that first big one i can't remember the title and then yeah where you know, normally people would go out and tour and promote and all this other kind of stuff and do all that material. Um, there's nothing else to do. So what you, I mean, and so other people then could even say, well, I dropped the album. I'm, you know, I'm good for, for the rest of our quarantine. You know, I, I did my bit. Maybe I'll drop another one when this is all done. And she says, no, I still got stuff to say. This is still worth it. I'm putting it out there. Um, and over time, I, it certainly becomes harder to sustain this stuff. I mean, you know, the, the Beatles, the classic example of, you know, one of the great bands, they make it, what? like seven eight super influential albums all told and then you know in in there and then and then they can't do it anymore you know but each of them separately ends up doing ends up giving more music um you know for a guy like bruce springsteen he's i don't think he's never not gonna have a reason to make music and the e street band right there along with him and this is not to cast aspersions about about pearl jam i'm yeah i'm definitely not up on it the way you guys are but i, I enjoy me some pearl jam and i don't think i know bright eyes at all but it is, I mean, it's a tricky thing to stay on. I mean, you look at somebody, again, as iconic as the Rolling Stones, they're making, they're making music just, I think, to keep touring at this point. I think the perpetual motion is probably all that's keeping their bodies animated at this moment. Um, but what, nobody's going to the Rolling Stones for their new album, necessarily. You're going to the Rolling Stones for Gimme Shelter. You're going to the Rolling Stones for, I don't know, somebody throw me a line here. <laughs> can't always get what you want. Can't always get what you want. Satisfaction. Satisfaction. Oh, my, there it is. Oh, and by the way, Gabe, Bright Eyes is a Planet of the Apes tribute band. Okay. See, I knew there was something I was missing there. Koba approves. 
Gabe, maybe not so much on the Koba point, Gabe, but uh, but everywhere else, I, I think you know what you were saying in response to Dan's question is spot on because I think you're kind of talking about like the the impulse for the record or the impulse for the music making. Um, you know, specifically when you're talking about Taylor Swift's two album, the the, the first one, Folklore, second one, Evermore. I, I read somewhere that you know Dan and you had, as you had pointed out, you know. Typically, she would be touring, going through all of those different um, post-album projects, uh, but she didn't. And, and, and she said somewhere that she got to the end of Folklore and she felt like there were still a lot of stories and still a lot of music left to be made. And she's experienced that before, but typically she wouldn't let herself like kind of go there. She would finish the project and then be done with it and then start a new project. Um, and, and for me, Dan, I agree with you that folklore and evermore, I, I'm uh, similar to what you said. I'm, I was not a huge Taylor Swift fan prior to this year. I am maybe not a huge T-Swift fan now, but I am really, really fond of these two albums. I think I might be a little bit more partial to Evermore. I mean, they're really, really close. Uh, but I think partially it's because she kind of just let herself go in a direction where, not that she hadn't gone there before, because I think one of the, one of the interesting things about those two albums too is that, is that she does let herself go back to some of her country roots. Um, I kind of like that she lets herself do that. I, I, it feels balanced in a way there. Um, but I also just think that, you know, Gabe, to go back to your point, the, the impulse of that record felt consequential. The impulse, uh, the motive behind that record felt more meaningful than, say, maybe the impulse or the motivation behind the Pearl Jam or the Bright Eyes record. I, I think that's right, Jay. And I think, too, um, what we're also talking about is maybe what artists feel they have to live up to. Um, you know, Taylor Swift is, you know, we thought she's been at the top of her game once or twice already, and she's back up there again, just to continue this example. Um, I don't think she's trying to recapture 21 or you belong with me or anything like that. Um, I don't know Pearl Jam this well, but is it possible that they're still chasing something that somebody like Bruce Springsteen, he's made those statements, you know, he born to run is out there. Uh, Thunder road is out there. Um, all this kind of stuff. He, he doesn't feel a need to, but I mean, at the same time, he's also got his sound. He also is just such a good, you know, musician and songwriter in his own right that, um, there is variance within the theme, as it were. I think, too, it, it depends on what interest these guys, yeah, to bring it back to where we were, what, what interests them to keep going? Are you chasing what you were? Are you trying to replicate that? Or is it like, you know, I was there. Let's see what else is out there. Yeah, and Gabe, when you bring that up, it makes me think of, you know, kind of the central component of this question being that this is music that came out in 2020. And 2020 being, I mean, I think the four of us could say, excluding for personal reasons, you know, Josh, you and I have birth of children that would definitely be really, really consequential years. But beyond that, 2020, I mean, I think pretty, pretty certainly one of the most consequential years of many of our lives, just simply because of all the things that are going on in our world. And I think that connects to the music that, you know, maybe then in that, that case, it's not so much on the musicians as it is on the listeners that, that we're looking for music that, that fits the moment that we're living in. And if the music isn't living up to that moment, then we're not as attached to it. Um, which does be, bring me back to, to, you know, 
again, kind of the central theme of this two-point question. Um, you know, we talked in detail about, you know, some really interesting topics and then also in detail about some of the, your different suggestions from 2020. Just really quickly, 20 to 30 seconds for each of you. Any other suggestions, um, any other bands, artists, or songs that you really liked that released music in 2020? Yes, I'd be happy to throw a few out there. Real quick, uh, we've mentioned some iconic artists who released albums this year. So Sir Paul McCartney released an album fairly recently. Um, it's look, it's it's not Beatles of old, but uh, there's a the very first song on the album, "Long Tailed Winter Bird." I think is pretty good. It's largely instrumental. Paul's vocals aren't what they used to be, but it's a really good uh, kind of instrumental song. I, I really like that. Jordy, your boy Josh Ritter released an EP. Uh, See here, I have built you a mansion. And on it, he does a cover of one of my all-time favorite songs, Dire Straits, Brothers in Arms. Um, and it's, it's an interesting take on the song. So that's up there for me. Um, I'm also going to throw out two bands that released uh, albums with orchestration. One is Bear's Den. Anybody familiar with Bears Den, Jordan? I have been encouraging you to listen to them for years, and I still don't think you've done it. Uh, they really have, but meh. Wow, that's that's painful. Uh, they released an album called Fragments, which is some of their old songs, sort of reimagined with some orchestration. Really enjoyable. And Metallica released S and M two which is their second live album that they've done with the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. They did one uh, 20 years ago. And so this is the second edition that they've done that. And it reminds me how impressive Metallica is. I generally am not a Metallica guy, uh, but S&M, the first one was phenomenal. And S&M two is great. And these two albums speak to more bands needing to do uh, mashups with orchestration. And last but certainly not least, uh, Billie Eilish, No Time to Die, came out in 2020. Uh, I mean, released eons ago, but somehow still in 2020. It will resonate in 2021. I think this has the possibility of going down as one of the all-time great Bond songs. Only other one for me is another band that I really like uh, and an album that just wasn't my favorite of theirs. Uh, Beck's uh, Hyperspace was this year. Um, a couple of songs that I really, really like on there. Dark Places ended up on my yearly playlist. Uh, not my favorite Beck album, but Beck is great. This, you know, it's a solid album. I guess I'll uh, I'll round it out with one shout out to a song I was jamming to a lot in the earlier part of the year. Um, Blinding Lights off the weekends after hours. Um, you probably hear it a lot during NFL game commercial breaks these days because that's what happens. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I went crazy on that song for a couple of weeks. That was fun. Uh, just two other ones that I'll throw out there. Um, uh, one actually didn't come out in 2020, but Dan, you made me think of it. We were talking about um, uh, bands working with orchestration. Um, I believe it was in 2019, Jim James put out The Order of Nature, which was him, Teddy Abrams, and the Louisville Orchestra. Uh, it's a collection of primarily songs just on Jim James's catalog, not My Morning Jacket's catalog. Uh, but that's, I think, a really, really phenomenal album. Um, and then the only other one that I want to reference from 2020 is um, 
the On La Havas's, uh self-titled album. Um, she's a British uh, singer-songwriter, um, and she does a cover of Weird Fishes by Radiohead, um, which is just a really, really cool take on that song. She talked in an interview, this is going to be the second shout-out to World Cafe Live that I give today. Uh, she, she recently did an interview, and she talked about how one of the decisions that she made on that song was to switch it to halftime, and she said specifically that she felt like her heart beats in halftime um and, and it's a it's a slow down version of that song um and I, and it, it's just it's it's really really nicely done she's got a really nice voice um so leon lahavis's self-titled album really really like it i'll check out anybody who covers radiohead i mean it won't be as good as radiohead but i'm interested yeah definitely worth worth a listen and jordy uh, what do you think about the josh ritter ep you didn't mention anything off of there I didn't. Uh, so I was torn a little bit on that one. You know, when I when I make up my 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 list of my top fifty songs, I usually uh, I try to avoid covers. Um, so I, I like I like the Brothers at Arms song. The other the, the other song that I like on that EP is Haunt. In a way, that felt like an album where Josh Ritter collected a bunch of stuff, and I mean. Th- it's pretty, he laid it out. That is pretty much what it is. So I'll give him credit for laying it out ahead of time. He basically just, you know, grabbed some stuff that he had already had, reproduced it, re-edited it, and then put it out in album form. Um, and I love Josh Ritter. So I listened to it and continue to listen to it. Um, but, you know, you know, I guess similar to our conversation from earlier, for him, I, you know, I, I think about a couple of albums that, so runs the world away in the animal years. Like I compare everything that he puts out more recently to those. Um, and they're just not quite measuring up. And that's not a knock against what he is putting out more recently. It's just those two albums are really, really stinking good. Yeah. It, uh, so the, the name of the, the album or the EP or whatever it is, is see here, I have built you a mansion, but then in parentheses on Spotify, it says, rare and unreleased and it makes one think that well okay well maybe it's rare and or unreleased for a reason the stuff is good yes it, it, it's fine but a lot of it is it just sounds like josh ritter the, the, the other the non-cover song that i enjoy is waiting on you it's just that upbeat kind of giggly josh ritter ear to ear grin while he sings for three and a half minutes kind of romping song but like i've heard that 72 times before courtesy of josh ritter this is just the 73rd iteration it's fine but yeah it doesn't do anything for you but yeah it just as you were kind of talking that through i remembered oh that's right it says rare and unreleased but maybe that's for a reason I, I actually, it's funny that you mentioned the title too. The the title of the album might be one of my favorite things about it. It's just a unique album title. Um, and I, and if. No, the best, the best thing about it is that Josh Ritter respects Dire Straits to do a Brothers in Arms cover. That's true. the best part about it. And the second best thing about it might be, and I'm going to say might because I need to look this up and make sure that it is correct. So listeners, if I end up being wrong, I apologize. I believe the cover art he also painted. Um, he's gotten into painting recently, which is just, yes, that know, that that is true. Yes, yes, correct. I, I I knew a th- I knew a thing. Yeah, about your boy. Yeah, I usually don't know things when it comes to Dorkfest the podcast. So that'll go ahead and be a wrap for our two point question, Dan. Thanks for that question that you asked. I do think that it 
led us down an interesting road, interesting topics for us to discuss. Uh, but it's time to dole out some two points. And Dan, unfortunately, you will not be earning these two points. Um, as I had mentioned earlier, I'm you know, basing all of my doling out of points on basically how interesting or intrigued I am by these selections or by the songs that people are referencing. Um, you know, so Dan, you know, you, you referenced a, a couple of artists that I am totally familiar with already. Um, so while I really like both of Taylor Swift's albums, I already liked them before you referenced them. Um, Gabe similarly um, enjoyed Childish Gambino's most recent record. I am going to give it another listen after you talked it up a little bit. It's been a little while since I listened to that. And I'm going to give Snow Patrol another shot. Dan, I definitely remember you and I having a conversation about the most recent album, and I kind of just pushed it off as, eh, I'm not really interested in that band anymore, but I think I'm going to give them another shot. But, Josh, you're going to be getting the points for the Water Boys because I have not heard of the Water Boys. I have not heard anything written or recorded by the Water Boys. And based on your suggestion, I'm going to be seeking them out. So two points, drink up. Be careful which songs you seek out. They're not all great, but you know. Don't tell them that. Take, point, take your points and shuffle off stage. One or two here and there. But look, do you want the points or not? I deserve the points. Therefore, I claim them. There's the man. All right, dorks. Well, it's time to put a wrap on 2020. And to finish off this discussion, you know, we've talked about music that wasn't new in 2020 but was new to us then we talked about the new albums tracks and artists that we really like from 2020 but what i would also like to know and this will be our three-point question and gabe it's going to be going to you first i'd like to know what music you return to in 2020 so gabe what you got the biggest thing i did was i, I went back to my home base as it were of um soundtracks i um i ended up at you know i'm Working from home, I'm not in the car as much, um, I, which tended to be pre previously sort of my main place of listening to music. You know, we've got this record player, and that's great, but we're not playing it all the time. And um, when I am playing long-form stuff, you know, work in the, in the background, stuff like that, it tends to be soundtracks. And from there, um, there's a few that I've, that I've come to. I've been listening to John Powell's work on the Bourne trilogy. Um, that's some pretty good background incidental music it's sort of just intense enough to keep you interested in the back of your mind but it's not too distracting uh, of that one i think born supremacy is probably the best the middle one is probably the best score i was listening a lot to uh daft punk's tron legacy score <laughs> it's um they get a hand from a couple of other interesting um and notable composers as they compose this but it's um it really is just kind of a party of a soundtrack. It's got a suitably, you know, epic sounding quality um, taking place as it does inside the computer world. And it's also got a lot of Daft Punk's trademark Daft Punkness. Um, a lot of fun beats, a lot of, um, um, and what's great about Daft Punk on this one is I think with one or two exceptions, they don't overstay their welcome. It, the, the, that soundtrack is not a lot of um, what you'd expect from it. It's a lot more orchestral. One of the guys they thank in the liner notes is Harry Gregson Williams, who's a, uh, who's really good. And the other guy they thank um, who provided, I think the score I listened to the most this year uh, is of course, Hans Zimmer. And it's his man of steel soundtrack that um, I found myself even piecemeal and altogether coming back to uh, a number of times, sort of in, in um, swings, you know, mini ages of listening to, to music. Um, I think Hans had a, he does a great job with this, this um, score apparently, is somewhat controversial, but so are the movies they're attached to. So pretty much all fair game. 
Uh, I firmly err on the side of Hans Zimmer's Man of Steel score being kind of a masterwork. Um, I think there's power there. I think there's a heartbreakingly wonderful um, theme and melody, um, the gentle piano theme that sort of signifies the the Clark Kent theme, if you will. Um, so, um, you know, you, again, take it or leave it at Hans Zimmer. You know you're going to get some bombast. You know you're going to get some um, some heavy strings, um, you know, maybe some some fuzzy bass in there and all that. But it's a, it's a fun listen. Um, otherwise, and I don't need to get too far into this, but I, I tended to be very much a, <clears throat> a skip and shuffle guy on my <laughs> on my music collection this uh, this year, restlessly so. I ended up with a lot of um, electronic music. I don't know if anybody here does that, but I'd be happy to follow you guys down that rabbit hole. I um, feel like I might be alone in that one. And then a couple of songs that stood out for no reason whatsoever. Um, one of them, The Who's Eminence Front, um, from their 1982 album, It's Hard. Uh, not a great album, terrific song. Um, that may end if, you know, I played it, I haven't played it a lot lately, but I played it enough in the first half of all this that that might be my theme to 2020. Um, I mentioned Blinding Lights uh, from The weekend. Um, again, just when I was feeling a little restless. Um, and on the, uh, one of the electronic side things, uh, a song called ID from Kygo, um, which I think is a really interesting, wordless little ditty of a tune. Um, I'll go ahead and jump in there next and talk about what I returned to in 2020. Um, I, I, two things that I'll mention. Um, one's a, a bit of a cheat, but I did technically return to it in 2020. Um, what's different, or the reason it's a bit of a cheat, is that I return to it every year, and uh, that's The Last Waltz, uh, the live album by the band. Always listen to it on Thanksgiving, as many people do. Um, it's just a it's just beautiful. It's just, it's a, it's a phenomenal all around album for the first time though, this year I did um, watch the actual documentary, which was surprising, not surprisingly. It was, it, it was wonderful. Uh, my wife did fall asleep to it, but she falls asleep to all movies. So I can't really blame her for that. The other one that I'll mentioned, um, I mentioned them earlier, um, two Josh Ritter albums that I returned to um, in the animal years and so runs the world away. Specifically, I returned to them this year um, because during the beginning of the shutdown, um, Josh Ritter was streaming his live silo sessions. He was doing this um, every Wednesday or Thursday. They would be on YouTube, totally free, and any donations that were given, he would be donating them to charity. Um, and he did two live kind of anniversary uh, streaming concerts, uh, the first one for the Animal Years, then later on for So Runs the World so runs the world away. Um, so those are just, you know, albums that I found myself returning to very much because of the moment and uh, because of these artists kind of reintroducing them to me. I'll go next. I, I sort of, um, the road I'll go down is I inducted two new albums or two albums into my pantheon of classics. Um, the, the first is Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust from David Bowie. And this was after our initial music podcast conversation when I started listening to more David Bowie. And, and I kind of just found like found myself embarrassed that I hadn't listened to this album front to back yet and how good it was. Um, you know, I, I was familiar with uh, Suffragette City and Starman, um, but but, you know, top to bottom, you know, five years is unbelievable. Moon Age Daydream is great. Uh, Star Lady Stardust is, is an unbelievable song and rock and roll suicide is, is, is a haunting way to end it. Um, and it tells a story, you know, I'm a sucker for those types of albums. Um, and the other one is uh, Blood on the Tracks from Bob Dylan. I, you know, I've known all these songs for a long time, but listening to them front to back is great. And the one I'll highlight 
um, as my favorite is uh, Idiot Wind um, for a, a reason that it definitely does not remind me of any, you know, of anybody that I hear from a lot um, or that any of us have to hear from a lot in 2020. Certainly not any prominent politicians. Um, you know, it's just a really good song. <laughs> Uh, I, I will round things out. I have just four songs that I've highlighted that I've sort of come back to. One of my, I, I did not put together a top 50 songs of 2020 uh, playlist like Jordan did. At some point, I don't know, in the mid portion of the pandemic, I put together a playlist that was simply titled Songs We Need in 2020. And it was sort of a mix of angry protest songs coupled with hopeful make you smile songs sort of for every mood that you might have in the midst of the pandemic and uh of the first three songs on the on the playlist one has already been mentioned gabe took care of that uh, via childish gambino because i put this is america on there that felt rather appropriate the bookends around that are the two that i'll mention now one is a Bruce Springsteen track from an album that's not terribly memorable, you know, memorable. It's the Wrecking Ball album, but the very first song is We Take Care of Our Own. And that sentiment felt, I don't know, a little more poignant this year than, than in years past. So that's one that I, I found myself enjoying a whole heck of a lot. And then Gable, I'm looking at you for the third song that I put on there, which is a U2 offering from Songs of Experience. And the title, I think, says it all. And it's Love is Bigger Than Anything in Its Way. Uh, and, it, and again, it just felt like at a time when we needed something to feel good about, you could listen to that song and be like, all right, that's a fairly simple sentiment, but it's one that if I truly believe, then we'll be in a pretty good place. So those are two for that reason. Um, Another song that I kept coming back to, which I've come back to probably for five years in a row now, is the song Under Pressure by The War on Drugs, because this is their best song, and they released a new live album. And if you thought the studio version was good, then you need to listen to the live version, because that pulsing sax and the way that the vocals just explode after the guitar bridge is just absolutely phenomenal uh so that's great and i will close with i've got to close with a, a soundtrack number and for me this year it was hans zimmer's time from inception which is his best piece of work and i think that's saying something because he's put out a ton of great stuff but it's time for me so th those are the four that i've known long before now but particularly resonated this year Hans Zimmer is is gaining on our on our John Williams Appreciation Podcast. Dan, that's so great you say time. I was thinking about talking about this that song too, but it seemed I thought too on brand even for me. <laughs> you guys remember when we did our our soundtrack podcast? I put together a playlist that was I've called it soundtrack highlights and I've continued yeah. to sort of add to it, but for the longest time that was my go-to playlist, no matter, like, okay, if I was going to go for a run, I was going to listen to that. If I was going to do cleaning around the house, I was going to listen to that. Like, it didn't matter what I was doing, that playlist fit, and somehow that song fit for anything that I was doing. It, like, got me amped up or made me feel, you know what it is? It made me feel like no matter what I was doing at any given time, sitting on the couch, cleaning the toilet, going for a run, 
that it was like really important. And it was the most important thing going on in my life or possibly anyone's life at that given moment. It is a phenomenally escalating piece of music, the way it starts with sort of this like quiet plotting dignity to it. And then by the end, it's, you know, you've, you've got those, those descending guitars coming in and, and all the, again, the, the classic inception bombast of the, of the horns. And yeah, every, every step you take is an earthquake. And, um, you know, I hope that's not the case for when you're sitting on the toilet, but if it's epic, <laughs> go for it. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, it's a great tune. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Perhaps in the running for, for Hans Zimmer's best ever single track. That's when I come back to time and time again, as it were. Dan's totem is his vacuum cleaner. Uses it to clean up the needles from his real Christmas tree. Darn right. Well, dorks, I think that was just a really, really appropriate way to end our podcast recapping the music of 2020. Um, You know, some things hopefully will change in 2021. One thing that won't change is the way that we end every dork fest. And that's by announcing a winner. Um, so I, I'm, I'm, frankly, I'm really torn here. Um, you know, Josh, while you did not present any, any artists to me that were new, uh, you know, Blood on the Tracks is not a Bob Dylan album that I find myself listening to a lot. So, so that's got me thinking, maybe I need to spend a little bit of time on that. Um, and David Bowie, I listened to him a lot few years ago when he passed but since then maybe not quite so much so I, I i don't know josh i think you're still totally in the running for these three points um you know gabe i'm always looking for some good instrumental music you gave me a couple of suggestions there definitely in the running there um and, and dan you know I, I i began with our warm-up question you know asking that music in 2021 continue to capture the moment that we're living in and the the little you know snippets of your playlist that you provided there very much are doing this so you know i, I i'm i'm tempted to dole out one point each but that just feels disingenuous i, I feel like i've got to pick somebody josh i'm gonna give it to you josh you know you you, you brought up you know two you know mega albums um that uh, of artists that I know for a fact that I'm that I'm fond of, but the albums themselves I'm not terribly familiar with. So that's what's got me most excited. Those are the albums that I'm going to start listening to right now as we start up 2021. So Josh, the come from behind victory, three points. You came in, you didn't have any points. You're you're leaving the winner. And and really, is there any more appropriate way to begin a new year of Dorkfest the podcast than crowning Josh the champion of the first episode? Well, it's just so fitting that uh, the guy who on our, when we were introducing ourselves on our very first podcast to our listeners, one of the first thing I said was that I only listened to music from the 1970s and beforehand, and I'm still able to win the podcast for music in the, in the most recent calendar year. Um, I've got it all listeners. What can I say? He wins the Music 2020 recap by referencing albums that were made 40 years ago. That right there sums up Dorkfest the podcast and our brutal inconsistencies perfectly. My alternative idiot wind joke was you talking about Rise of Skywalker. So, you know, I, I'm happy to trot that one out when that one now. <laughs> there, there is no more low-hanging fruit on planet Earth than you coming after me for Rise of Skywalker. Give the people what they want. 
they tried. We got Rise of Skywalker. Oh, come <laughs> on. Jordan, end this. This is this is supposed to be a music pipe. It always this is, this happens every single time. Well, nobody intends to start it, but then somebody says something and then the rest of us can't not say something. So I mean it's just I I showed some restraint. I was thinking about incorporating some I I was actually thinking about you know, making up some words to old Anxine, but referring to, you know, like Dan's love of Rise of Skywalker. Um, but that, that felt too much like the last one that we did. So I, I feel like I actually showed some restraint here. We, we really should probably cut back because this is absolutely how we create Kylo Dan, right? <laughs> yes, correct. Oh, it's, it's too late. It's coming. Yeah. Well, dorks, uh, thank you so much for joining me on that trip around our collective turntables of 2020. Uh, while I'm excited to see what the world of music has in store for us in 2021, I'm happy to have a long list of new, or in Josh's case, old artists, albums, and tracks to enjoy in the meantime. Speaking of, we'll be putting together a playlist on Spotify containing some of the songs that we discussed tonight. So listeners should look out for that on Instagram at dorkfest underscore podcast. In the meantime, you don't have to go home because you're probably already there. But unfortunately, you can't keep listening to this podcast. That said, if you're missing the soft falsetto of our voices, you can follow the lead of a certain James Bond adoring Andorian out there and re-listen to any of our previous episodes on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. We hope you all enjoyed our time together as much as we did. We look forward to entertaining you again next time on DorkFest, the podcast. The making of a great compilation tape. Like making a podcast is hard to do. It takes ages longer than it might seem. You got to kick it off with a killer to grab attention. Then you got to take it up a notch. Then you got to cool it off a notch. There are a lot of rules. Anyway, I started to make a tape in my head for the dorks. Full of stuff they'd like. Full of stuff that would make them happy. I believe when I fall in love with you, it will be forever.